And I noticed that some of them are different sizes. I thought, oh, that's neat. I don't know why they did that. So I kind of put that to the side a little bit and uh, figured, you know, I got the picture on the front of the box. I'm good, right? That's what it's going to look like. Here's all the pieces. Don't judge me. You've probably done it too. Um, And kind of went after it. Now, um, it's important for me to just preface what I'm about to say with this. One of the best decisions I ever made in my life was to marry the woman I did. Because she's so much smarter than I am which is the way it should be. And uh, I admit it freely. However, when I'm under the influence of um, stubborn man uh, syndrome, um, pray for me, uh, I don't always listen to her advice. uh, And I almost always live to regret it. Um, So uh, with that being said, I'm about halfway through the uh, the putting together of this crib. And Lisa walks in and uh, helps me to realize that I put the headboard on backwards. Uh, I thought, well, that's not a big deal, but fine. You know, I'll, I, I took it apart a little bit and flipped it around and kept moving forward. And she was like, baby, don't forget, you've got the instructions. You've got the, this booklet. It came with it. It's to help you. And I was like, I got this, baby. <laughs> so um, she kind of left and I continued working. Um, Three hours later, she um, comes back in the room to find a sweaty, frustrated Eric who's just tightening up the last piece. It's done. She walks over to me and puts her hand on my shoulder and says, good job, honey. Then she picks up a piece of wood that was lying on the floor. Says, where do you think this piece goes? So I finally had to consult the instructions uh, and realize that I had to take the thing almost all the way apart because that piece is so important to the strength of the crib. I could have saved myself a lot of time if I just began at the beginning. You know, a lot of us, you know, have found ourselves in that kind of a situation. Maybe you struggled like me putting something together until you've been forced to read the instructions Uh, Maybe you got uh, put on a project at at school or work. You're halfway through. You got put in halfway. And you're like, man, if I'm going to know where I'm going, I've got to know where it began. And to get really specific about where we're going today, a lot of us, uh, man, if we're honest, we sort of got that way about the church. You know, it's it's really easy. You know, Christ followers will come to church for, for, for months and years. And then all of a sudden you find yourself getting really cynical and really judgmental. Kind of as if the whole institution of the church was just about you and your preferences and making you happy. And you end up coming to church just to get your dose of Jesus for the week, right? Maybe even using what you hear, you go with the intention of taking something away that you can use as ammunition on somebody else to make yourself look good. See, the reason why we do this, the reason why we get this way is because we've gotten off mission. We've gotten off mission. We've we've forgotten why we do this in the first place. When we do that, when when we miss that foundational element, everything can just unravel at at our fingertips. Because what we're going to be talking about today is the absolute most important question, the most important truth of your entire life. 
So we're going to camp out today in Matthew chapter 16. Let me set the stage for it a little bit. Um, during, uh, during this time, Jesus and his disciples have been traveling around in a place uh, called Galilee. It's a predominantly Gentile or non-Jewish area. Uh, and Jesus has been doing miracles and he's been teaching and massive crowds of people have begun to follow him. It's actually during this time where he, he does his famous miracle of feeding 5,000 men. And that doesn't count the women and children that were with him too. And he did it with, if you remember, five loaves of bread and two fish that a little boy gave him. It was a big deal. So shortly after this happened, he and his disciples hop on a boat and uh, they're heading back to Jewish territory. So they get there and... Uh, Before you know it, the disciples are witnessing Jesus being scrutinized by the religious leaders of the day. The Pharisees and Sadducees are trying to manipulate Jesus into giving them a sign that he's the Messiah. See, but Jesus knew that their hearts were corrupt. See, they already had a sign, but they just couldn't see it. And there was a lot of theories and, and ideas and, and misconceptions about uh, who Jesus was. And, and Jesus knew, in fact, that even many of his disciples were conflicted uh, about this detail, about who he was. And so he knew there was, it was time to have a conversation. And so he, he, he took his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. This was a place for them to get away from, uh, from the crowds of people, especially the Jewish people, because where Jesus decided to have this conversation was essentially right outside of the temple of a false Greek god named Pan. And so uh, we're, we come up now on this conversation, this very personal conversation with Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus is about to set the record straight. So let's jump in uh, in verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Who do people say the son of man is? Now, uh, Matthew Henry is, is a commentator. and He said, another way to pose this question is this. Do they own me for the Messiah? That's basically another way to pose Jesus' question. Do they own me for the Messiah? I thought it was really interesting that he used the word own. And we're going we're gonna to touch on that in just a few minutes. But let's keep reading and see what his disciples say. In verse 14 it says, They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Uh, now, up until this point, Jesus had not plainly said who he was. He hadn't. He was letting people kind of infer who he was by by his teachings and by his works. And so when he asks his disciples this question, what he's doing is he's getting some feedback on how they're processing what they're seeing and hearing. It's also important to to acknowledge that those answers, those people that, that the disciples answer with, Jeremiah, Elijah, you know, the prophets, those are not bad people. They're not evil men. Those are actually men that that God used in an incredible way. But the thing is, is It wasn't the correct answer. See, there was a foundational element, kind of like that that piece of the crib that that I had overlooked. There was a foundational element that Jesus wanted to make sure that they got. He wanted to make sure they got this because because without without it, uh, nothing else would matter. And so Jesus looks them in the eye. 
And he asked him the most important question that he would ever ask them. Let's read it. Verse 15 says, but what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Now, Jesus is talking to people who, uh, who, who worship at the temple. People who have read the scripture, people who have left their, their old ways of life and chosen to follow Jesus. It kind of sounds a little bit like us, doesn't it? So he's asking this question. So just think for a second, how would you, how would you answer that? Who do you say I am? I mean, there's lots of things about Jesus. You know, he, he's a friend who, who sticks closer than a brother. He's someone who comforts those who are hurting and so many other things. But without what we're about to be shown in these next few verses, Jesus would be no better than Gandhi or Mother Teresa. So let's see the answer. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Guys, I hope that you you didn't just miss what Jesus just said. He just said that, that nothing, not even the gates of hell, the ultimate evil will be able to stop the church from growing. That's absolutely incredible. Remember how I said earlier that we uh, can't, can't mess this up? This is how I know that that's true. If the gates of hell can't mess up the church, we can't mess up the church. And that's a big deal for someone like me. See, this is one of my favorite prophecies in the entire Bible. Because right here, Jesus predicted us. Jesus predicted us. Man, that's huge. See... Here's something, here's the bottom line that we've all got to own today. The church is built on Jesus, by Jesus, and will last because of Jesus. Don't, Don't miss that. The church is built on Jesus, by Jesus, and will last because of Jesus. It's not about us. Nothing we can do can 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 break it down or hold it back or mess it up. We can. It's all about Jesus. He's where it begins. There's three parts, there's three elements of this passage that I want us to process through uh, quickly together this morning to make sure that we understand it. The first part is this. You have Peter's answer. Peter's answer. Peter says that, that you are the Messiah, you're the Christ. Now, why is this a big deal that Peter would, would say, you're the Messiah, Well, the reason why it's a big deal is because for for Peter to say this, he's saying that that Jesus is the fulfillment of over 300 prophecies about the coming Messiah. The one that would come and bring freedom and redemption uh, to the Jewish people and reign forever as king of kings. Peter is saying that Jesus is the one who would simultaneously hold the office of prophet, priest, and king. A prophet because he would speak on behalf of God. A priest because priest makes sacrifices for atonement of sin. Jesus himself would become the ultimate sacrifice for the world's 
redemption, the world's forgiveness, and finally king because he, Jesus, would defeat sin and death and reign forever as king of kings. And Peter got that. Peter got that. Jesus informed him, God informed him of that. What's the next piece that we have? The next element. You have Jesus' response. See, Jesus not only acknowledges that Peter is correct, but he says that he's blessed. He says he's blessed because the only way that Peter could understand this, could get this, could have those dots connected is because God informed him of it. And for someone like me, that, that rings so so true, so close to home. A little bit of, 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 of how that relates to me is like many people who grew up in Lynchburg, Jesus is everywhere. He just is. He loves Lynchburg. He hangs out here a lot. And so uh, growing up, like, I mean, that was, that was just, that was just my life. You know, like I, I'm, I'm very blessed to have two uh, parents who love God and they have lived out their faith in front of me and my little brother. And it's, it's, it's an amazing uh, testimony for them to have. I'm so thankful for that. But I also grew up in Christian school for, for my entire life. And I did the math, which I hate math, but I did the math. And that's 2,100 days more than 2,100 days where my day started in prayer. That's more than 2,100 days where I had a Bible class where we learned about Jesus, we learned about the history of the church, we learned about the Bible. That's a lot. Not to mention that one day a week, our whole school got together and had chapel in the sanctuary of the church. Speaking of the church, I was very involved in church from the time that I... Well, even before I could walk, I got wheeled into that puppy. Like that was just my life. And I, I, I was a part of programs and events all about Jesus. And those aren't bad things. I want to make sure that I make this clear. I could not be prouder of the family that God placed me in and the upbringing that I have. But it was none of those things that caused me to own that Jesus is the Messiah. It was none of those things. It was in a moment when I was in ninth grade where God had to break down my pride and break down my doubt and show me that, that my faith couldn't be my parents' faith. It couldn't be my school's faith. It couldn't be my church's faith. It had to be mine. And, and when I was in ninth grade, Jesus connected those dots and I got it. And it was real. It was personal. And it was permanent. But God was the one who informed. Some of you today might have walked into this church with, with questions and, 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 and thoughts. You're wrestling with like, why am I here? Why do we do this? Is the church for, for Christians to come? Or is it a place where people can come experience Jesus for the first time? And those aren't bad questions. But we need to make sure that we're unified on the most important truth of all time. That's that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. Now, if you'll, if you'll remember when Peter says, you're the Christ, son of the living God. It's also important. I want to make sure that I mention that the fact that, that Peter says that you're son of the living God, that's a big deal too, because Peter's had a front row seat to Jesus' ministry. 
I mean, Peter walked with Jesus. He, he saw his miracles and his teaching. Peter actually performed miracles in the name of Jesus. And so for Peter to say, no, 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 you're not the son of man. You're the son of the living God. It's because Peter has rightfully deduced that the only way that Jesus could say what he says and do what he does is if he's the son of God. Man, I don't want you guys to miss that. I don't want you to miss that. And then we have the third, the third element. You have Jesus' promise. Now, the next thing that, that Jesus does is he reminds Peter of who he is. Just to further reinforce that, that, that Peter on his own could not have, have owned Jesus for the Messiah. That's something that God does. God informs that to us. But the next thing he says is, uh, Jesus tells them all that that, that rock, the rock that, that he's the Christ, Son of the living God, is going to be the rock on which he builds his church. And another word for that rock is cornerstone. Now in that culture, when a foundation was being laid, there was always one Stone, one specific stone that was called the cornerstone. And every single other brick or stone that was laid had to be square and level with that stone. If even one was out of place, the whole structure was weakened and it would not stand the test of time. Now, we as the church, as the Big C Church, who those of us who have owned Jesus as the Messiah, we need to make sure that we are staying level and square with this. Because if we lose that truth, that foundational element that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, then hmm, we've missed it. The foundation gets weak and, and we, we make it about us. We don't want to do that. We don't want to miss that. So what, what does it look like? How, how would I be different if I own that Jesus is the Messiah? What, what would we be like? Because it's not something we can just say. There's lots of people who say that Jesus is the Christ. I mean, they, they sing about it. They light candles uh, at Christmas. They'll even give money, which can fool a lot of people. But how would we be different? How do we be different? The way that we view other people would be different. Because when we'd be interacting with them, we wouldn't be out for our own best interests. Because we would know that as part of the Big C Church, it's not about us. So we're not out trying to get ours. That's one way. We, the way that we see ourselves would be different. Because our identity, our ambition, our purpose would be completely centered on Jesus. We would have an unshakable faith in, in, the, in the knowledge that we are unconditionally loved. That we have a purpose through Christ and that he has given us his gospel to go and share with others. And the way we see ourselves would be different. And the way we see and hear from God would be different. Because when you own that Jesus is the Messiah... And you know that it's not about you. And you remember the truth that the church is built on Jesus, by Jesus, and will last because of Jesus. Then when he says something, you obey. When he says go, you go. Because it's not about you. As a matter of fact, if you remember that when Jesus says that, that not even the gates of hell, he's actually foreshadowing uh, his own death. Jesus is saying that not even death can stop the church. As a matter of fact, it was Christ's death and resurrection that galvanized the young church and they saw an explosion of new believers. 
And over the history of the next 2,000 years, it has been those people, those men and women who have walked unflinchingly toward evil because they knew the truth that the church is built on Jesus, by Jesus, and will last because of Jesus. And they knew that even if they were risking their own life, that it was something worth fighting for. Because they got it. They, weren't off, they, they didn't get off mission. They, they didn't forget the foundational element as to why we do this in the first place. So Brentwood Church, what, what does that mean? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for us? See guys, when we, when we realize that God cares more about who we are than where we are, then it frees us up from the constraints of a building. See, the church is not a building. The church is every single believer who has chosen to own that Jesus is the Messiah no matter where they are. But if we limit ourselves, if we limit the church to just, just this building and just this small group of people, then we put a cap on how God wants to use us. And our view of the church becomes narrow-minded. It becomes so small. We've got to think differently about the Big C Church. We've got to. Every single believer, whether you've, whether you've owned Jesus as the Messiah, uh, you've been that way, you've been a Christ follower for years, or you just owned him for the Messiah yesterday, we're all part of the big C church. But Jesus is asking that question. And some of you today, it's time to answer. Guys, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. Jesus is asking, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And, and, and for some in this room, you know that God has informed you that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. You've gotten that. So, man, I hope, I hope that you are living in that truth. As you, as you daily are refined and changed by that knowledge, But there's some in here today that Jesus is is asking you that question. And and maybe you've been resistant to Jesus for a long time. And maybe one of those reasons is because you thought that you had to conform to some style or structure of a church building. And guys, I, I hope that you know today that could not be farther from the truth. Because we want you to hear from God. When, when our staff and our volunteers pray, we don't pray that you would hear from Pastor John or Brett or me or, or anybody else. We want you to hear from God because God is the one who informs. God is the one who connects the dots. God is the one who gives you purpose. But you've got to answer that question. Who do you say I am? He's asking And I believe that some people in here today are ready to answer for the first time that you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, son of the living God. And you are ready to begin that relationship with Jesus. The relationship that he has been fighting for and pursuing you with. Guys, he is so crazy about you that he sent his best. He sent his son to this earth to live the perfect life and to be that sacrifice, to die on the cross because he loves you, because you're worth it. Because he's the Messiah. 
but it gets better. Three days later, he got up from the dead, proving that he had victory over sin and death because he's the Messiah. And the church is built on Jesus, by Jesus, and will last because of Jesus. And some of you today are about to step into that and become a part of the Big C Church. And all you need to do is believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That he loves you, died for you, and rose again for you. And you're going to own today that Jesus is your Messiah. And so in just a second, I'm going to pray. And if you're not sure about what to say to God, then you can just say some of these things in your heart. There's nothing super special or magical about what I'm going to say. But Jesus wants you to talk to him. He asked the question. And now we have to answer. God, thank you for loving me. Even though I don't deserve it. God, I thank you that you're a promise maker and a promise keeper. Jesus, I believe you love me. I confess that I'm a sinner. God, I I thank you for dying for me to forgive me of my sins. God, today I own you as my Messiah. Help me to live for you from this day forward. Guys, if you, if you prayed that prayer, and if you meant it, because it's not, about, it's not about the words, it's about the attitude of your heart, it's about meaning that, acknowledging it, then remember, this isn't something you can just say. It takes action. And if you did just pray that prayer, I want to say that is incredible. That's the absolute best decision you could ever make in your entire life. But we want to know about it. There's people that want to celebrate that with you, people that want to help you, that want to journey with you because you just started a journey. This is not the end. This is the beginning. The beginning of the most exciting time of your life. And so in just a second, we're going to stand up and we're going to sing. And in the back of the seat in front of you, you have a card. You have a next step card. That's where I want you to put the decision that you made. That's where I want you to to, to mark that down. And when we start to sing, I want you to answer just like Peter did, just like some of you have done this morning in the quiet of your seat. I want you to take action. I want you to stand up. I want you to take that card to the response station. I want you to set it down. Because we want to know, we want to celebrate it. It's such a big deal. I can't overstate that enough. So I'm going to pray. And as soon as I say amen, we're going to stand up. And if you need to respond, respond. Jesus, thank you so much for your love. Thank you that the church is built on you, by you, and will last because of you. So God, as we continue to sing, as we continue to worship, God, give us boldness. Because our identity is solely in you. It's not about us. We can't mess it up. God, I thank you for those that have made decisions this morning that you have informed about the truth. God, thank you that we will never be the same because of you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Guys, let's stand and respond.